the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. WTBN, Pinellas Park. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. How long does it take to get to heaven? Immediately. That very day. You're not traveling. You immediately go to be with the Lord Jesus. The moment you die, you go to paradise, which is heaven. Which means, and this is important, there's no such thing, first of all, as soul sleep. Some teach that. I heard about a florist who got his orders mixed up one time and sent an arrangement of flowers to a funeral that was meant for a business. The card said, Congratulations on your new location. You know what? I'd love for something like that to happen at my funeral, wouldn't you? Congratulations on your new location. Hi, welcome to Verse by Verse. Our teacher is Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Pastor Steve normally preaches expositorily or verse by verse. But right now, we're in a topical series that deals with questions about heaven. Pastor Steve has dealt with several myths about heaven itself over the past several days. But now we're considering what actually happens to us at death. What will we be like? And what happens at the moment of death? How do we actually get to heaven? Listen now as Pastor Steve opens God's Word to answer those kinds of questions. So, at death, nobody floats around in in a vague uh, atmosphere, especially not a believer. Then what does happen at death? What, what happens to a believer at death? We're, we're looking now at a believer. What happens to a believer at death? Let's look at 2 Timothy chapter 4. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul is, uh, is relating his last words, his last written words to Timothy and the church. Paul is in prison. He, uh, in, a, in a matter of a short time, he's going to be killed for his faith. And he says in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the course, I have kept the faith. But notice, he says, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the course, I have kept the faith. And then in verse 6, just before that, he says, the time of my departure has come. The time of my departure has come. This word departure was used by the Greek, in the Greek language to refer to untying a boat from its moorings or, or loosening a ship's ropes. And what Paul is saying is that death is setting sail out to sea. Death is a new voyage. Death is like that. It's a departure. It's a departure of the, the soul leaving the body in a permanent way, at least until we get a new body. But that's what Paul said. Death is separation of the body from the soul. It's, it's, a, it's a new voyage. That's what he's saying. We move on. Now, let's go back to uh, Luke chapter 16. I told you to, to stay there. Uh, it's a departure to heaven. But the question says, how do we get there? Do we do it on our own? You may be surprised to know this. But the scripture says in verse 22 of Luke chapter 16, 
Now it came about that the poor man died and he was carried away by who? By the angels to Abraham's bosom. Abraham's bosom is another way of saying paradise or heaven. When you die, you're not going there alone. You're going to be carried there by the angels. In fact, uh, Matthew 24, verse 31, you don't need to turn there, but it also says at the end of the tribulation period, the angels are going to gather from the four corners of the earth. They're going to gather God's elect to him. So angels are involved in this. Angels are going to transport us to heaven. And that's, that's good. That's good to know. Angels are going to be there. And by the way, there have been people, uh, believers who have died, very credible believers who have said just at death that the, they've seen the angels who are, are about to take them. And I, I wouldn't uh, just say that if it was only the experience of people, but it's backed up by Scripture. Now, the question is, how long does it take to get to heaven? How long does it take? Um, my mom passed away this January will be 11, 11 years. And uh, in the Jewish faith, what they have is uh, after 12 months, the family gets together at the gravestone. And they have what's called an unveiling. Uh, the gravestone is unveiled and there's, there's uh, words on it, very appropriate, nice words on it. And uh, as we were driving to the, to the gravesite, I said to uh, a relative of mine, I said, how come we do this after a year? I mean, why, why do we do this 12 months after, after death? And he said to me, because that's how long it's taken your mom to get to heaven. That's what he said. I said, well, it must be pretty far away then. And uh, 12, 12 months to get there, that's a long time. How long does it take? Let's look at Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23. Context is this, the Lord Jesus is, is dying on the cross. He's been placed on the cross. There are two thieves, one on his left, one on his right. And one of the thieves says in verse 42, he was saying, Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom. And Jesus said to him in verse 43, truly, I say to you today, you shall be with me in paradise. Now, some people want to distort this and say Jesus was saying, uh, I, I say to you today, you'll be with me in paradise. That's silly. Why would Jesus say today? I'm telling you this. He knows what day it is. But I'm telling you, that's how some people corrupt the scriptures. You know, that'd be like me saying, I'm giving this message to you today. Of course I'm giving it to you today. Today is today, you know that. No, what Jesus is saying is, this day you will be with me in paradise. How long does it, get to, does it take to get to heaven? Immediately, that very day. And you're not traveling. Long. You immediately go to be with the Lord Jesus. The moment you die, you go to paradise, which is heaven. Which means, and this is important, there's no such thing, first of all, as soul sleep. Some teach that. What is soul sleep? Those who, who espouse soul sleep say that when you die, your soul is asleep. It's just like you're sleeping. It's, it's, uh, you're in uh, you know, never, never land. And, and at the resurrection, you'll wake up and be with the Lord so everything is all right. Uh, and they say, well, the Bible so many times refers to death as sleep. That's true, but it's referring to the body. It's, it, and it's just a euphemism. It, it means that the body is resting. That's all. At the moment you die, your body either goes into the earth or is cremated or whatever your family wants to do with it, but your soul and spirit is separated. The body is sleeping. Forget the body at that point. You're not in that body. In your spirit, you go to be with the Lord. When Stephen died, it was about to be stoned in Acts chapter 7, he said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He didn't say, I'll see you in 2,000 years. He said, I saw Jesus standing. Jesus stood 
as, as way of honoring Stephen, the first martyr of, of, the, of the church, he stood up and, and Stephen said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He's not in soul sleep. Paul said to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. So the Bible does not teach soul sleep. Your soul is not sleeping. Your body is. In fact, it's more than sleeping. It's disintegrating is what it is. But don't worry about that. Uh, also, we have to conclude that the Bible does not teach a place called purgatory. The Bible does not teach a place called purgatory. Those of you who come from Roman Catholic backgrounds need to hear that. Need to hear that. What is purgatory? They say that that is a place of limbo between heaven and hell, a place of, of anguish where there's a gradual purifying. Well, listen, I want you to know that the Bible many times speaks of hell and 600 times refers to heaven in one way or another. Not one place does it ever refer to purgatory. In fact, it's interesting to know that it didn't even become an article of faith in the Roman Catholic Church until 1439 at the Council of Florence. And it has led to, to such uh, uh, wicked things as praying for the dead and paying priests to hold masses for the dead. And it's, it's just, the Bible doesn't teach that. The moment a believer dies, he goes to be with the Lord. Now, why is that so important? And why have we covered this? Because first of all, it brings tremendous comfort to you. Not only for your own death, but for the death of a loved one who knows Christ. It brings tremendous comfort to know that the moment I die, the angels take me to be with the Lord. That's tremendous encouragement. But it also motivates us for faithful service in our living today. Faithful service. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. Faithful service today. It doesn't just affect us when we die. Knowing that you're going to be with Christ the moment you, you die affects us now the way we live. In Hebrews chapter 11, he's talked about the, the heroes of the faith coming out of, of uh, all kinds of persecution and difficulties. They didn't have an easy time. And he said, but they, they learned to walk by faith. They, they believed the revelation of God. They believed the truth that God had revealed, the truths he had revealed. And uh, these Jewish people reading this for the first time were persecuted. They were going through difficult times. They, and the writer's message to them, as you know, is to believe God. Believe God for the future. You're weary. You want to give up. Do not retreat back to Judaism, but press forward. Come forward in terms of your Christian commitments. And he says in chapter 12, beginning in verse 1, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Why did Jesus endure? For the joy. Or how did he do it? For the joy set before him. Notice that. Verse 3 says, For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you may not grow weary and lose heart. His point is to keep running, to keep moving in obedience to Christ, motivated by the joy that awaits you. If Jesus was motivated to go to the cross, thinking beyond the cross and despising the shame of it to the joy that awaited him at death, being, being reunited in heaven with the Father and, and bringing believers to glory and all of that, then that ought to motivate you because someday when you die, you're going to be welcomed to heaven. 
You're going to be welcomed to heaven. And the scripture speaks of rewards that we're going to have for obedience service. We're going to stand before Jesus and we're going to give an account of our lives and it ought to spur us on to greater faithfulness. In fact, in Matthew chapter 5 and in Luke chapter 6, Jesus spoke of, of the joy of, of heaven. He said, they persecuted your, your fathers but, and they're going to persecute you, but there's great joy because your reward is in heaven. Great joy. So that ought to spur us on. That ought to motivate us now. Speaks of a crown. In fact, we go back to Matthew. I'm sorry, go back to 2 Timothy chapter, chapter 4, where Paul speaks about this. 2 Timothy chapter 4 with his swan song. And notice, beginning in verse 1, he says, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be instant in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and, and instruction. Timothy says the time will come. This is why you want to be faithful all the time. The time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires, and they'll turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. But you be sober in all things, endure hardship, and that's the key. Endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. In other words, finish your ministry. Whatever course God has given you, finish it. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the course, I have kept the faith. In the future, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me at that day, and not only to me, but, all, but to all those who have loved his appearance. What is he talking about? The point is that Paul is saying, Timothy, I'm about to die, and I want to motivate you. I want to motivate you to endure hardship. I am passing on the baton of the gospel to you. One generation is dying, and here's the truth of the gospel. Here's sound doctrine. I'm passing it on to you, and I want you to take it and endure hardship no matter what comes. And how do you do this? How are you motivated? Observe my life. I want you to live like me. I want you to, to live in obedience to Jesus Christ. I want you to see how I'm dying now. I have fought the good fight. I have finished my course. I've done what God has told me to do. And, and soon I'm going to stand before the Lord. And I want you to observe how I've done it so that you can do it. I have no reservations. I have no regrets about my life. Timothy, that's the way you're to live. Because someday you're going to stand before him and be rewarded for your faithfulness. So what he's saying is, follow me what I have done. And I say to you, follow Christ. Because Paul says there's a crown of righteousness. What is that? That's, uh, the crown was a wreath that they gave to victors at an uh, athletic contest. The crown of righteousness is for those who complete the Christian life with integrity. Those who complete it with integrity, whose eyes are on the Lord as they fulfill the ministry that God has given to them, not just full-time Christian servants, but all of us who continue even though times are, times are hard. All those who love his appearance means all those who live a life now that uh, they're not ashamed to stand before him. So we know, first thing we've looked at, first question is, when do we go to heaven? The moment we die. So be faithful now. Be faithful now and press on. And be comforted by those words. Second question, what will we be like in heaven? That's interesting. What will we be like in heaven? Once we get to heaven, how will we be? Will life be different for us? Well, as I said a few moments ago, the moment we die, our bodies are either placed into the ground or cremated or whatever, 
And at the resurrection, which is the same time of the rapture, we will receive a new glorified body. But whether or not, whether or not we are in heaven in only our, our souls and spirits, and I'm using that sort of synonymously, or with a resurrected body, we will be perfect without any sin, without any blemish. And I want you to see this. Hebrews, once again, Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 22. The writer says, But you have come to Mount Zion, and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to the myriad of angels, and to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and watch this, to the, to the spirits of righteous men made perfect. There will be a time we will just be in heaven with our spirits, not a resurrected body, not yet. But notice what he says, to the spirits of righteous men made perfect. The moment you die and go to be with the Lord, in your spirit you are perfect. You will experience perfection. Specifically, in, we're told, in two different areas. There'll, there'll be a number of areas, absolutely, but two different areas that the scriptures speak of, uh, of perfection. And uh, the first one is pleasure. Pleasure. If you like pleasure, you're going to have perfect pleasure. And we know this because Psalm 16 says this in verse 11. Thou wilt make known to me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. There'll be absolute joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Absolute pleasures, not sinful pleasures, but perfect pleasure. Perfect joy. Not only that, you will have perfect knowledge. You'll have perfect knowledge. 1 Corinthians, this is a good verse for you to know and see. 1 Corinthians 13 Verse 12, Paul writes, but now we see in a mirror dimly. It's like looking at a mirror that's, that's uh, not quite sharp. Looking at a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now Paul says, I know in part, but then I shall know fully as I have also been known. There'll be full knowledge. There'll be complete knowledge. Perfect knowledge, perfect pleasure. But in general terms... Those are some specifics we're told. But in general terms, we're told that we will be like Christ in character. Let's look at Romans chapter 8. I told you, we're, we're just flying through this, so if you can't keep up, it's all right. Just try to listen, write down the verses, uh, get the cassette tape, and uh, this will be very helpful. Romans chapter 8. This great verse, verse 28, says this, And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Verse 29, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. That is to say that, that God's plan for your life is to make you like Jesus Christ. And he uses all the difficult circumstances to do that. I suppose that this, uh, this is helpful in illustrating it. Michelangelo, the great Italian sculptor, said that in every block of stone he saw an angel waiting to be liberated that was an artist's perspective in every block of stone he saw an angel waiting to be liberated well i think that illustrates romans 8 28 and 29 god chisels away at us and god uses all the circumstances of life to sculpt us to be like christ the difficulties of life the heartaches of life the misunderstandings of life even the sins that we commit to sculpt us to be like christ and at death He's sculpting us all the time, and at death we are finally liberated, liberated to be perfectly conformed to his son. He just chisels away at us. Is he chiseling away at you? He sure is chiseling away at me. 
That's just the normal experience. Don't, don't resist that, but let him conform you to the image of Christ. Let him conform you. Because someday, the moment you die, you're going to be perfect like Jesus Christ. And the process begins the moment of salvation. So we're going to be like Jesus in character. But also, and by the way, let me have you turn to 1 uh, John chapter 3, because this not only says that he's conforming us now, but uh, it also tells us the moment we see him, we're going to be like him. 1 John 3, verse 1. See how great love, how great a love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God, and such we are. For this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now are we the children of God, and it has not yet appeared what we shall be. We know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him just as he is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself even as he is pure. What John is saying is we don't know all the details. We don't know all the specifics of how we're going to be, but we know that when we see him, we're going to be like him. We're going to be like him. And if you have this hope that you're going to be like him in glory, it ought to motivate you to be like him today because someday you're going to stand before him. So we're going to be like Jesus, not only in character, but we're also going to be like him in our glorified, resurrected bodies. Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, verse 20 and 21 says, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. In other words, you're going to be like Jesus in terms of a glorified body. Now, what kind of a body did Jesus have? Well, we know this. This is the best we can, we can uh, uh, discover. It will be a real body, a spiritual body, because it's not confined to this, to this physical world, but a real body. Uh, it won't be a phantom. It won't be a ghost. He said to his disciples, look at my hands, touch me, for a ghost is not like this. It'll be like that. We won't take the time to look at the verses, but Luke 24, 36 through, through 39. He even ate with them. He ate with them. You have to have a body to eat. I don't know that the Lord needed to have food, but I'm sure glad he did because maybe that means that in heaven you won't need food, but it'll just be for pleasure. You won't have to worry about weight. You won't have to count the fat content. You won't have to be concerned about your cholesterol content. Just enjoy. I don't know that for sure, but I do know that the Lord and his glorified body ate. Maybe that's part of the pleasures forevermore. Body that could also walk through walls, he said to the disciples. I mean, it says in John 20, that he was just in their midst. He didn't knock on the door. He just went through. That's why I've said many times that he said, the first thing he said to them was, peace, shalom. Because if you saw somebody just walk through the door, you'd want the first words out of their mouth to be peace. That's a frightening thing. You're just there and he's there. So our bodies can walk through walls. We, can we will be able to ascend in the clouds. He did. He ascended in the clouds. And uh, a body that will never grow old, a body that will never decay. 1 Corinthians 15 speaks of that. It's a glorious body. It's a powerful body. It's a body that will never have cancer eating away at it a body that will never have age marks, a body that will never have receding hairlines. It's, it's a wonderful body. Age marks, hmm, that got my attention. I don't think Pastor Steve mentioned barnacles and all those bruises from the blood thinners. I've never used to bruise. That new body Jesus promised us is looking better all the time. 
Pastor Steve Kreloff will answer more of our questions about heaven on the next Verse by Verse. I'm glad you could join us today as Pastor Steve continues this series of messages about heaven. He's the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. You can find out more about Lakeside by calling 727-441-1714 or go online to lakesidechapel.com. Verse by Verse is a listener-supported ministry, and we are very thankful for the generous listeners who help keep us on the air. If you'd like to partner with us financially, it's simple to do through the giving page at our website, versebyverseradio.org, or call Lakeside at 727-441-1714. Also, to get caught up on this highly encouraging series of lessons about heaven, visit our message archive page at versebyverseradio.org. I'm Jerry Peterson. My father-in-law was a farm implement dealer for years. He knew almost every farmer in a three-county area. So when my wife and I went to the county fair with him, we went our separate ways for the most part. (laughs) Why? Well, because he couldn't go more than a few steps without someone stopping him so they could chat. So we'd set a time and a place to meet later, and my wife and I would go enjoy the fair while he enjoyed his friends. You know what's going to be great about heaven? We'll get to enjoy the fair, the friends, and countless people we haven't even met yet. Join us for the next Verse by Verse. Pastor Steve will show us what the Bible says about our ability to recognize each other in heaven. You've been listening to Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. This program was pre-recorded. To learn more, including how to donate to this ministry, visit versebyverseradio.org. That's Verse. We're here to give you strength between... Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.